Good. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing well, thanks, Suzanne. Thanks for asking. Doing well. <clears throat> A couple things I wanted to uh, chat about before we dive into our message for today. Uh, the first thing is um, it has been uh, since we started with uh, ah, this whole COVID thing a year and a bit ago back in March 2020, uh, we already had live streaming in place as a church, um, which uh, we had no idea that the Lord was preparing us for, uh, for this moment, but uh, we're very grateful that, uh, that there was the foresight to get that in place and uh, and so it was probably less of a, uh, it was still a scramble, it was still a challenge, but it was probably less of a challenge for us than it was for many churches who weren't doing that at all um, in that season. But in the process, uh, we have gathered some, uh, some online members, participants in our church. Uh, no longer can any church just think of who's in the room as who is part of their church. And, uh, and we actually have people who are we, are, the, we are their primary place of worship, and they don't even live in our province. Um, and so we're glad for those of you who join us online. And uh, just want you to know that, uh, that we are strategizing how we can more uh, more effectively involve and engage those who are participating online uh, as, as, again, not just people who are, um, you know, spectators kind of peeking in on our worship service, but are actually part of our experience as a church. And uh, so we're looking at some possible online connect groups in the fall and, and all of those kind of things. And speaking of connect groups, most of our connect groups have wound down for the summer, um, but we are, we, again, we are planning and strategizing towards the fall. We're going to have some training for our leaders in, uh, before we get to September, and uh, we just want to be encouraging you, put the bug in your, your ear, in your mind, once again, that uh, when we start ramping up connect groups, as a significant part and I think we found over the last year, those of you who are involved in connect groups found that when we couldn't gather in this setting, um, our online connect groups, when we were doing that for a season or, or once we were able to gather in smaller numbers in homes, um, it became a life breath for some of us. Um, and, uh, and it is so crucial to be able to gather in... Uh, you know, in people's homes and share around the word together. One of the things we want to do, because um, one, one of the blessings of connect groups, I think, and, and the feedback we've gotten has been that, um, you know, we hear a message on Sunday and sometimes without a reason to go back to it, we just kind of, Sunday's gone. We, we barely remember what, the pastor preached, 
by Monday, let alone by next Sunday, right? And Connect Groups has given us an opportunity to dig in deeper into the scriptures, into the message, and say, okay, now, we heard a message, how do we live it? What, what does this mean for our lives? And so, uh, in the, in the, through the summer months, when, when most of our Connect Groups are not meeting to kind of dig into the scriptures like that, uh, we're, we are going to be still providing, um, probably through an email format or whatever, we're going to be providing life application questions for you to just be processing the word throughout the week. We hope that will be helpful to you. Good. We serve a powerful, miracle-working God, don't we? Amen. We, uh, we uh, have heard over the last uh, couple weeks of a couple situations where um, some people had, uh, two, two people specifically, had um, uh, medical tests done. And in both situations, there were, there were masses, there were tumors that showed on the tests. And they asked people to go to prayer. And in both situations, when a further test was done, the masses were gone. In one of the situations, it was a, a, a brain tumor, and they actually had the person in the braces with the drill ready to go to do surgery on the brain, and they double-checked and found that the mass was gone, and they had to say, go home. So... We serve a mighty, mighty God, and uh, want to encourage you um, that God wants to, you know, the things that, he, that we read about in the scriptures, the, the mighty things that he did, it's not just fable, it's not just stories, it's not just history, it's, the, you know, there's a reason why the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, if you read it, it ends like they just ran right off, right off a cliff. Like, there, there's, no, there's no end. It just, they just, it just stops, like, almost mid-sentence. Why is that? Because we're living Acts chapter 29. Because God still wants to do today what He did then. Amen? Amen. All right. So, last week um, in our message, we, we talked about... Um, the, reference the fact that there were in, in the Jewish religious calendar in the time of Jesus, there were three different week-long festivals where people would gather from all over the world, Jewish people would gather from all over the world to come to Jerusalem and celebrate week-long feasts, week-long festivals together. And, uh, and, and so we talked about, uh, and, and I actually preached on Passover at Easter time. And last week, I preached on Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, and we talked about that, how it was a week-long festival. And, uh, and I just 
felt that the Lord was saying, don't stop there, do the third one. Um, uh, the, the, the third festival was the, what's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the, the Feast of Booths, Booths, or in, uh, in Hebrew was called Sukkot because Sukkah means tent and Sukkot is tents or tabernacles, okay? So, so it's the Feast of Tabernacles and, uh, you know, the Jewish pattern of life and worship was meant to be deeply worshipful and also deeply joyful. And no festival was more joyful than the third festival of the Jewish year, the feast or the festival of Sukkot, festival of tabernacles. Um, and uh, so it was a festival when the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, were to gather and they would actually build tents or booths out of branches and they would camp out for an entire week. Sounds like fun. Sans bugs, but right? Um, so, so they would camp out for a whole week and part of it was to remember the fact that their ancestors lived in tents in the wilderness for 40 years. And part of it was also, it was a, uh, a massive week-long Thanksgiving feast following the end of the year of harvest. So when, when all the, the crops and the fruits and everything had been gathered in for the year, they threw a big party to thank God for his faithfulness and his provision at, uh, throughout the year. And uh, one of the, um, make sure I'm not forgetting something. So a, a couple of uh, really special feasts of tabernacle that are described in the Old Testament, um, pretty, pretty interesting and special occasions. The first was the, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the dedication of Solomon's temple. Do you remember that? talked about how when the temple was built, they had a week-long feast, festival, to celebrate the dedication of the temple and, to, um, and, and the glory of God. Remember we said the glory of God came so thick and powerful twice through that week that the priests couldn't even stand. They were flat out on the, on the ground because they couldn't stand because the glory of God was so strong. But that... that feast, that week-long feast, was also a feast of tabernacles. People were, people were camping out and celebrating joyfully what God had done. And then after Jerusalem, years later, centuries later, when, when the Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians and the, the people of Judah were taken into captivity, then God 70 years later, brought them back into their land. And when they came back, they rebuilt the destroyed temple, and then they rebuilt the destroyed walls in the city of Jerusalem. And when they had finished all of that building in Nehemiah chapter 8, we read about a special gathering where they dedicated the temple and the city back to God. And when they did that, it's interesting, it says... Uh, 
Ezra, the priest at the time, read through the entire um, Torah, the, the first five books of Moses, the books of the law, read through the Torah. And as he did, the people were weeping because they realized how far they had fallen from faithfulness to God. And in the middle of their weeping, God sends a prophetic word and says, stop it. Can you imagine? You're weeping in repentance before God and God sends a message and says, stop crying, stop weeping. This is Sukkot. This is a time for rejoicing. It is a holy time for rejoicing. Go slaughter the animals, do a barbecue, have a feast, and spend this week rejoicing in what I have done for you. Isn't that amazing? That, uh, that God is committed to our joy in His presence. Isn't that cool? Um, so there are a number of aspects to this festival, this Feast of Tabernacles, that we, we can't get into all of them today, but I want to draw your attention to one of the most well-known parts of the festival and the one that brings us to the passage that we're going to look at today. Um, <clears throat> it's the ceremony of the drawing and the pouring out of water. That doesn't sound super exciting yet, does it? But it was, it was a very exciting part of the festival. Every day during the festival, there's some pictures of... The, the, the Jewish people actually just reinstated the celebration of the water-drawing festival in Jerusalem in 2014. They didn't do it for centuries. They've just reinstated this ceremony uh, in the last decade. Um, and uh, so what they would do is uh, uh, they would um, after the after the, 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 the sacrifice, the afternoon sacrifice in the temple, and by the way, the sacrifices were, you know, it sounds, sounds bloody, sounds messy, sounds gross, sounds, but, but they were, it was like a slaughterhouse. They were, make, they were killing animals to barbecue for the big party. That's what the sacrifice was about. And so after the afternoon sacrifice, they would begin to cook the, the meat on the altar and uh, after the, the meat was cooked, a, a massive party would start. And they would dance and they would sing and they would shout around the temple literally all night long. They, there, were, there were four 75-foot pillars in the, the courtyard of the temple. And on top of these 75-foot pillars, that's pretty high, on top of these 75-foot pillars, they would light massive fires so that uh, the people writing at the time would say all of Jerusalem would be lit 
all night long so brightly it was almost like daylight. And they would literally dance and celebrate and shout and sing all night long through the entire week. And at dawn, the priest would take a sacred vessel and would go just outside the walls of Jerusalem to the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam was fed by a, a spring called the spring, the Gihon Spring. And the water would go through Hezekiah's aqueduct. Really interesting story we don't have time to talk about. Would go through from the spring of Gihon into the Pool of Siloam so that the water in the Pool of Siloam, which provided most of Jerusalem with their daily water, was fresh they called it living water. Living water, because it was spring-fed water. It was life-giving water. And the priest would take a container of water from the Pool of Siloam and would carry it to a gate in the city, appropriately called the Water Gate. <laughs> and when he reached the Water Gate then three trumpets would blow and then the, the party would take a whole new level and, and people would dance and shout and celebrate as they paraded into the temple courts. They would dance and, and, and parade around the altar once and then the priest would raise his hand and the entire place would go silent. And he would pour out the water. And he would ask God that God would, in the next growing season, provide water for the nation. And the next day, they would do all the, the whole thing would happen again. And he would, the priest would go to the, the pool of Siloam, get some water, they would dance, celebrate, trumpets would blow, they would dance and celebrate and shout, and they would go around the, temp, the, the altar, and then he would put up his hand, silence, pour out the water, and ask God to provide for the next year. Until the seventh and greatest day of the feast. And on the seventh day, the priest would, everything would be the same. The priest would take water, would go to the water gate, the trumpets would blow, everybody would dance and celebrate and shout, and it was the, this moment was the climax of the entire week, and everyone was, was you know, at the loudest and, and, and biggest, and they would, they would shout and holler, and they would seven times parade around the altar. Now, this altar is massive. It's, it's probably half the size of this room. But they would dance and celebrate around the altar. And then the priest would hold up his hand. Everything would go silent. And for the last time, he would pour out water and pray that God would provide water for the next year. So it was... There was actually... Um, someone who wrote back in the time of Christ 
it, a description of this ceremony and said, He who has not seen the joy of the water drying has not seen joy in their whole lifetime. Because it was the most joyful celebration you could possibly imagine. And it was into this festival that Jesus came in John chapter 7. The passage tells us that he waited until the middle, halfway through the festival before he made his appearance. When he did, he made enough of a stir that the Pharisees and the chief priests sent the temple guard, their own secret police, to try and find him and arrest him. But Jesus eluded them a number of times. And then in verse 37, it says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Wow. Many of us have heard this, um, this passage preached many times over the years, but context is everything. This celebration had gone on for thousands of years, had all pointed forward to this moment, and yet the very people celebrating it in the presence of the one who would bring the living water were oblivious to his presence and were missing the point. Two points today. First of all, Jesus is the only one who satisfies. Jesus said, and, and, and you know what? I'm not sure. The scripture doesn't tell us. The scripture doesn't tell us when exactly Jesus called out in a loud voice. But I can only imagine, I can only imagine, that it was at that moment, at the height of celebration, when people had been dancing around the altar seven times, and the priest raises his hand, and everything goes silent. And Jesus calls out, interrupting the entire festival, all eyes on him, an awkward moment, how dare you, interrupt the priest, right? Calls out in a loud voice, let him who is thirsty come to me and drink. Imagine. We are all made 
with a longing in our soul for meaning and purpose. A longing for God that is meant to lead us back to Him. Those of you who are joining us today online from wherever you are, or if you're here in this room, if you've not made a commitment of your life to follow the way of Jesus and to surrender to Him as Savior and Lord, I want you to hear me clearly today. That longing in your heart for peace, for order, for security, for belonging, for justice, for true joy, those are all indicators of a longing for God. The Bible tells us that all of those things are descriptors of God and His kingdom. And we're meant to long for those. You were made for Him. And life is about finding our way back to where we once belonged. A little Beatles reference there for some of you. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity in the human heart. Even though we are finite, mortal beings, we were made for eternity. That's why we look up at the stars and say, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this. There has to be a greater purpose for my life. My life has to be about more than just putting in 70 or 80 years and then checking out of this world. Your career won't fill you. Your toys won't fill you. Your buddies won't fill you. Even your family, as amazing as they may be, are not meant to fill you. And we have tried to fill our lives with more and still feel the empty ache in our soul. Because we are meant to thirst for Jesus. St. Augustine, one of the great fathers of the early church, said, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Trying to fill our lives with everything else except Jesus is not a new issue. That's why Jesus had to shout in the temple. And in fact, hundreds of years, 600 years before Jesus shouted those words, God said something very similar through the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13, it says, My people have committed two sins. 
Now, if you read the history of Israel and all of the, the mess that they got themselves into, there's a lot more sin there than two sins. But at the core, God says, all of human brokenness and sin can be summed up in two things. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And secondly, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. In other words, God is meant to be our source. He is meant to be our life. He is meant to be the one that we get peace and hope and joy and righteousness and justice and goodness and fullness from. It's meant to come from Him. He's meant to be our spring of living water. But when we neglect Him, we have to try and find our water from somewhere. And so we, we dig our own cisterns. We try to catch some rainwater from somewhere. But the problem is, cisterns leak. The stuff that we try to find life in leaks. And none of it can give lasting life. None of it. Secondly, this morning, when we come to Jesus, we get more than we bargained for. Jesus goes on to say, whoever believes in me, whoever, everybody say whoever, whoever, are you a whoever, right, includes all of us, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Last week we talked about a baptism of fire. About how there's a difference between whoosh believers and pilot light believers. Right? And that when the Holy Spirit comes in a baptism of fire, He wants us to go from being pilot light believers to being whoosh believers. Right? And this is, Jesus is saying something very similar here, but with just a different metaphor, right? That, that when we come to drink from Him, not only will we receive what we need, but we will have an overflowing of what we need, right? Drink deeply of Jesus and let Him be the one that satisfies our heart's longings. And not only will we have a trickle of water to satisfy our needs and our heart's longings, but out of our belly, out of our innermost being, out of our spirit, will flow not just brooks, not just 
streams, but rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. When our lives are fully surrendered to Jesus, we will have joy enough to leap over sorrow. We will have peace enough to outlast any storm. We will have courage that will amaze even ourselves. We will have a sense of belonging as sons and daughters of God that no one can take away from us. In fact, we will have more than enough for ourselves. Just like on the day of Pentecost that we talked about last week, when the 120 believers were in the upper room and the Spirit came down upon them and they spilled out onto the streets. And because they spilled out and splashed over a whole bunch of people, 3,000 people came into the kingdom that day. Right? We are meant to splash and spill on others. We're meant to overflow on others. What if you had more faith than you could keep to yourself? What if you had more joy than you could contain? More peace, more hope. One of my favorite scriptures in the last number of years Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't just want to give you hope so you can make it through another day. He wants to give you hope to the extent that you spill and splash hope on people around you. That you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's enough true followers of Jesus in our city that if we lived at this level, there's no reason why most of our city shouldn't be splashed on in a month. Right? But when we allow our lives to get depleted, It's not only us that suffers from that, it's those around us as well. We don't just gather on Sundays, like I said, so we can find just enough strength so I can make it to next Sunday. God doesn't want us living there. He doesn't want us in survival mode. He wants us in thrival mode, right? He wants us in overflowing mode. <clears throat> it's one of the reasons we said, we quoted last week from 
from Ephesians 5.18 that says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled. But remember we said it doesn't just mean in the Greek. How many, how many love grammar? Right? Grammar, grammar matters. Yeah. That's a, probably not a joke for here, I guess. But anyways, um, grammar matters. Oh, maybe it is a joke for here. Let's eat, comma, grandma. Or let's eat grandma. That little, that little comma is, is important, right? Grammar really matters. So, so it says, but be, be being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants for us. That we would live a life that we are continually being filled so we can continually be pouring out. It's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why one of the gifts that we're given oftentimes most, most, the most common gift that happens when someone is baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit is that they begin to speak in other tongues. What's the purpose of that? Well, we don't have time to go too deep into that today, but one of the purposes, we're told in 1 Corinthians 14 that he who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. It's one of the access keys that we have to being refilled on a regular basis. That when you're worshiping, when you're praying, to begin to worship and pray and speak in other tongues if, you, if you've been given that gift. And it gives access to a refilling. It's a tool that's given to us. So when we come to Jesus, we are given more than we bargained for. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And I want to ask you this morning, whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online from somewhere, somewhere in Bathurst or some other province, doesn't matter. I want to ask you this morning um, a couple questions. Are you still trying to find hope and peace, and joy, and fulfillment from the things of this world. Because I, I want to tell you right now, you will never get there. You will never find the fulfillment your heart longs for. 
unless you come to Jesus. And if that's you, if you've never committed your life fully to Christ, made Him your source, your Savior, your Lord, why wait another day? And for those of you who have made a commitment to Jesus, you're followers of Jesus, I know that sometimes we just get bone dry. When I say that God intends for us to live with an overflowing life, don't think for a moment that I have lived every moment of my life there and I'm pointing fingers at you. Because every one of us, there are times when we just get empty. Notice when Jesus stood up and shouted out, he said, whoever. He said, whoever. Jesus is not a withholder. Your heavenly Father is not a withholder. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights that when we come to him with a thirsty, empty soul, and maybe we've even chased things in the world and, and it's our own doing that our soul is empty and dry. That God does not turn a deaf ear to those who call on his name. And that if you are here this morning and you are in need of a fresh filling of the Spirit, a fresh renewing of the Spirit. If you're in need from the Father's hand this morning, whether it's an outpouring of the Spirit, whether it's uh, a healing, whether it's um, a breakthrough in a relationship, a breakthrough in finances, whatever your need is, you, we serve a God who loves, loves, loves to lavish good gifts on His children. So in a moment, we're going to sing together. But I want to, I want to pray that, that as we surrender our hearts afresh to Jesus this morning, that we would drink deeply of the living water that only He can give. God, I thank You for Your love for us. I thank You for Your faithfulness. Thank You for Your goodness. Thank You that, God, when we come to You, that when we come to You, you are faithful and good and pour out upon our lives. God, we're here this morning as hungry, thirsty sons and daughters of the King. We pray that this morning you would pour out upon us a fresh outpouring of your Spirit. That you would not just give us just what we need, but God, you would give us to overflowing. We want to make a difference in this world. We want to spill on people all around us. So come, Holy Spirit. Come touch our lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to encourage you.
as the team leads us in worship, for those that are here in the room this morning, if you want to receive something from the Lord, once again, we've got got tape markers up here. Just make your way up and find a place to stand and just stand before the Lord. Just say, God, I'm here to drink in from you. I'm here to receive from you. Come and pour out in my life this morning in Jesus' name.